Welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media. We provide business professionals with insights and ideas for protecting their people from the vast array of threats facing organizations today. Each week, you'll hear advice and best practices from an experienced safety leader. Here's your host, Peter Steinfeld. Well, hello. I hope you're having a great week so far. Today, I'm joined by Dr. I. David Daniels. After decades of service in fire safety and rescue operations, Dr. Daniels transitioned out of the public sector to focus on occupational health and safety. These days, he's president and CEO of a safety consultancy called ID2 Solutions and hosts the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. In this episode, Dr. Daniels helps us understand the basics of psychosocial hazards in the workplace. We also discuss how organizations can develop a safety culture that enables employees to bring their whole selves to work. Let's listen in. Dr. Daniels, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Good to be here. I'm really excited about the conversation. No, me too. I did a little research before our episode, and I'm, I'm super excited to get into it. So for starters, can you explain what psychosocial hazards are, maybe how they differ from other occupational hazards, and how they come up in the workplace? That's an interesting question, because in some ways, psychosocial hazards are not different from the other five. So, of, of course, in the workplace, we have five rather traditional hazards that we focus on, biological, chemical, ergonomic, safety, and physical hazards. And those get all the press. But the issue with psychosocial hazards is the fact that they are somewhat invisible and they are often at the root of some of the other exposures. So the term psychosocial has to deal with or has to do with the interplay between a human and the environment that they're in. And a psychosocial hazard, at least my definition in my research, is a psychosocial factor that's perceived or experienced by the person exposed as a threat or potential threat to them that has an impact or influences their behavior. That's it. So that becomes really broad. That becomes really unique to the person. That becomes unique to the environment and the interplay between the two. So how do psychosocial hazards affect employees and what are some of the common ones that employers should be aware of? It depends on the person, but the source of the psychosocial hazards is likely going to come from how your work is organized, the environment that you're in, and the people that you're working with. So the hazard is going to emanate from one of those three sources. So an example is role ambiguity is a psychosocial hazard. But for some people, the more ambiguous their role, the more authority they have and the more safe they feel because they're not being held accountable by anybody. So again, it is a hazard for some. If I'm in a role in an organization or in a group where I don't have power, I don't have influence, and my role is left ambiguous, then the people who do have power can change their mind. They can decide today. And a lot of organizations do that. So they, they go out and they recruit people, they bring you on board, and they tell you, oh, the job's going to be this. But then they change their mind. They, change their, they wake up one morning and decide we're going to do something different. And you're, you're head spinning trying to figure out what my role is now. And somehow they decide now that you're not meeting the standard. Well, what's, what standard are we talking about? The one I was hired under or the one you're using today? So you see how something that is kind of innocuous, it really will impact different people different based on 
the environment that they're in, the amount of influence they have in that environment and so on. Yeah. And their age, how long they've been on the job. I'm thinking exactly what you're saying that when I first started a job, I got hired to do one thing and literally within 24 hours, I was doing something totally different. Absolutely. So a lot of these symptoms don't seem to be visibly evident. So what are the warning signs of this kind of hazard? And how do you know if you've experienced or witnessed one? There is no environment that is free of psychosocial hazards. So remember, hazards, any hazard, if you're not vulnerable to it, it doesn't affect you. And so when I talk about psychosocial hazards, in and of themselves, they may or may not affect you depending on how vulnerable you are to that particular thing. And your level of vulnerability is based on all kinds of things. Your background, education, upbringing, the type of food that you eat, the amount of exercise that you got today, how much sleep you, all these different things that bring you, that come to work with you will affect how vulnerable you are to that particular hazard on a particular day. And some of the safety professionals out there, their heads are spinning about right now. We can't manage that because we don't have data on. Well, actually, you do have data. You have qualitative data from the human being that says, you know, that doesn't feel good to me in this moment. Mm. That's the data. The human being saying that I don't know what it is, but there's something about that that makes me feel a way that I don't want to feel. So is there something that we could do to remove that feeling or to reduce that feeling so I can go about my job? It's really just that simple. So it can be kind of daunting as a manager to think every single person I have reporting to me could view what I'm asking them to do entirely differently. So what's the one thing they can do to make sure they're managing each one of those people correctly? Obviously, as you said, view them as individuals, but like maybe what's something they could say to them or ask them? So the first thing I can help them with is don't try to manage people. You manage systems, you manage things, you lead people because people have a choice. And then in the organization, why are we here? What is it that we're attempting to do? What's important to us? Where are our values? And then being clear about that when you bring someone in, because often we are clear about that. There are a lot of organizations, I wish they would just be honest and say that when you come here, this is going to be a really difficult job. Not all of our customers agree with us. There are going to be times where they're going to raise their voice at you. They're going to do all kinds of things. And if that happens, here's how we respond. But on the other hand, what they do is, oh, this is a wonderful job. Everybody loves it here and everybody gets along. And that's just not reality. And I found in my research that the folks who were exposed to psychosocial hazards have a variety of coping mechanisms. And one of them is adaptation. I can adapt when I'm not surprised. I could, so those who are into MMA, I'm not, but they know when they get into the ring that there's another person that's trying to beat the living daylights out of them. When you go into an office, that's not what you expect. You see what I mean? So it's really just, so humans can do it. We can deal with, you know, even certain forms of conflict because we all know what we're going to do. But when we are surprised, when we're told one thing and it's actually something else, I think really should be honest about the environment. When I was a, in the fire rescue service, I knew that the buildings I was going to, going to go into, they were on fire, they were hot and they could kill me. I still did it because I was prepared for it. I trained for it. Now, it was still some of it was very traumatizing. But it was a lot less traumatizing because, and it became a lot less because you were expecting it. You knew how to prepare yourself. Actually, you know how to deal with it after the fact. So back to the original statement, some of it is just about being honest 
about what the environment is. It is not perfect and it never will be. But we can do it. As human beings, there are a lot of things we can do if we simply be honest. So it sounds like a combination of honesty, consistent, open dialogue, and then letting people know that you have their back. Yes. Yes. What are some common misconceptions about psychosocial hazard in the workplace? The common misconception is that it's not a big deal. It's not important how people feel. And that is a huge misconception that ultimately comes back to bite you personally or to bite the group of the organization. Because if we were to really, from a incident investigation perspective, if we didn't stop at the physical cause of some of these incidents, we would find that there was a psychosocial one there. So I can think of an incident that occurred in Bhopal, India in the 80s, actually. It was a union carbide plant. And there was a leak of, if I'm not mistaken, methyl isocyanate, if I'm not mistaken, was the leak that they had that killed scores of people. That type of major chemical emergency was not simply based on the chemical hazard. There were all kinds of signs and symptoms and things going on in advance of that that people just didn't pay attention to. So, well, that dial doesn't read, ah, that's not that big of a deal. It's, it happens that way all the time. You know, we can just move past it. Somebody reports it, ah, you know, because we're about production. We've got to get this thing done. So there are psychosocial roots to virtually every major catastrophe that has occurred in human history. But we stop at the, well, it must have been the, it was the dials, it was the chemicals, it was that. And we try to fix that, but we don't pay attention to what contributed to that. Why is it that people felt okay to overburden the system or to over, overburden the workers? Why didn't the first person who saw the problem, why didn't they feel safe to be able to speak up and say, hey, that doesn't look right? All of those are the symptoms of chronic or acute psychosocial hazard exposure. Well, something you mentioned before was interesting to me, and that's that everyone views the world through a different lens. And I think it's so critical if you're a manager or a leader of some sort, you have to think for the people who report up to you that they're viewing the world differently because they have a different set of experiences. And you have to remember the curse of knowledge. Like you've done this for five years, 10 years, yes. 20 years. Yes. That person is on day one, day, you know, week one. They don't understand. It's like being in Spanish 101 and your teacher's talking at you 50 miles an hour and you're like, I don't know what you're saying. You have to remember that. They just don't understand it. You have to empathize with that and stop. Like, I think when you were talking about walking into a burning building, I bet if you and I did that right now, you'd be calm, cool, and collected. Yes. And I'd be freaking out. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, again, our systems should be established and arranged acknowledging that people are different and acknowledging that and knowing that people are going to see things differently. Instead, we have the easy way is we do it this way. Here's step one, two, three, and that's the way we get it done. What's most important is what, what the goal is, that what is it that we're trying to achieve? That's the most important thing. How we achieve the goal is not as important. This isn't, no matter what it is. So what can employers do to prevent or mitigate psychosocial hazards? Uh, the first thing they can do is acknowledge that they exist. That'd be good. Good place to start. And what I'm finding is the conversation around psychosocial hazards, their identification, how we assess them and how we mitigate them, is actually often an entree into having conversations about the rest. How do we create an environment 
So everyone in that environment feels safe or as safe as reasonable for that environment. So it sounds like focusing on culture is super important, making safety part of the culture. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's absolutely important. And again, even in the conversation around culture, we bring something to the table and the culture of an organization or any social setting, it needs to be built by everyone there, not by one or two people there. That's right. Are you a fan of things like employee assistance programs that are very formal that people know they can reach out to when they're feeling uncomfortable or need some help? I am. I am. But EAP is a means, not an end. <laughs> so EAP should be a component of creating a safe culture for the folks here. It's a part of it, but it, it won't do all of it. No one thing is going to accomplish everything we need from a psychological health and safety perspective. Well, there's different groups in the organization that can help. So how right. do the roles of human resources and the employee health and safety team and others differ when it comes to creating positive change in this area? What can they do? You just mentioned two of what I believe are the four critical components or roles in an organization as it relates to psychological health and safety. Absolutely. The safety folks, the folks who do safety all the time, they need to be involved because this hazard is predominantly human-related. The HR folks have to be involved. Unfortunately, sometimes we dump it all on the HR people and say they have to fix it, and they can't. We also need leadership. Leadership, because this is like most things. If it doesn't start at the top, often the challenges in terms of where these hazards emit from, they start with the leaders. And often they do it because that's the way they were treated and, and the people above them were treated that way. And we will also probably need some help from someone who has a background in mental health. If you can get those four people or those four roles or those four things, if you can get them in sync, oh, you can have a great approach to addressing this hazard. So how do we get employees engaged in reducing psychosocial hazards? What can they do? That really, again, starts with looking in the mirror and understanding what is good to you. What gets you going in the morning? What do you enjoy? And what do you not enjoy? Because every human being who comes into a new culture brings a part of their old one. And we all have some baggage. We all do. We, all, we have childhood things. We have things that occurred in our early relationships at work. We've had good employers to us. We've had bad employers to us. All of that comes with us. And it's, it's important that we're, again, intellectually honest to say that the reason I'm responding or reacting in that way is I have a little bit of trauma in that area. And to be honest to say that when that comes up, how am I responding? Why am I responding that way? And some of this takes practice to be able to think in the moment. So they said this, I'm about to respond. Why am I, re why does this even bother me? You see what I mean? So that individual work really needs to be done. And then deciding where we're going to take our talents. There are lots of places out there that can't handle you. You are too qualified for them. You have too much to offer. You have too much energy. I really believe that our millennials and Gen Zers have figured out that they're too valuable to simply go anywhere and be treated anyway. So some of it was, why did you go to work in that place? And you didn't really check them out. You didn't interview them. You, don't, you didn't really know what they were doing. And then when they do it, you are somehow surprised. So this, I believe in balance in all these areas. It is both on the individual and the organization to make this work. No one of them can do it by themselves. 
They, so they have to have this relationship that says, I am here to provide something that you didn't have before I was here. And what I expect from you and what I'm going to get from you is whatever. I'm going to get wages and benefits and social interaction and some joy in my work. But it's a balance. It's a balance. Too often, it's we have these conversations only from the perspective of the employer. But we have to have them from both. Because guess what, employer? You need Now, if you want to go out and get robots, that's great. That's great. But even robots are going to have to have programming from somebody. That's right. Uh, it's so much a symbiotic relationship. And I love that advice you gave. It's don't just let the employer interview you. You need to interview the employer, make sure it's the right fit. Well, how can organizations measure the effectiveness of their psychological safety initiatives that they have? In my view, the best way to measure it is to measure in very similar ways to how you measure other hazards. <laughs> so how are you measuring the effectiveness of your identification, assessment, and mitigation of biological hazards. How do you measure that? Psychosocial ones are no different. First, it's, again, that identification piece. There's an instrument I created in my research called a psychosocial hazard inventory. Is it here? Because if we, it's very difficult to manage something if you don't know it exists. So first, we identify it. Next, how vulnerable are we? The hazard's here. How vulnerable are we to it? And how much, you know, of the risk associated are we willing to take? And then we have to get into, once we have done the identification and the kind of the risk management assessment, then how do we get into mitigating? Because you can't eliminate all of them. So mitigation starts to look a lot of different ways. From a psychosocial perspective, that's when we bring in our HR people. We are going to the example I gave earlier, clear job descriptions that identify what we want people to do clear and effective performance measurement and management systems that make sure that people get equal and equitable evaluations. So all of these are things that sound like HR, and they are, but they help mitigate the potential risk associated with the hazard that exists when we do it wrong, we do it incorrectly, or we don't do it effectively. So again, it's psychosocial hazards are not as difficult to manage as you might think, because many of the steps are already being taken. It, there are things you're already doing. And many of the hazards are because, well, you weren't doing that anyway. And it's not only psychosocial risk, there's other risk as well, because they're certainly connected. And it seems to me a really big part of this is just helping people understand what they can and should do when they feel uncomfortable. That's exactly right. Absolutely. Because, it, so let's, Let's simply take the same kind of lagging indicator approach we take to a lot of things. I would love everybody to be into prevention, but not everyone is. So at the very least, when someone says, I don't feel good, I don't feel well, I don't feel at my best, now what? What do we do? As opposed to, oh, you'll just get over it or push through it. Well, no. Maya Angelou said that people will forget what you said They'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And that is, I don't think she necessarily intended that as an occupational health and safety statement, but I believe that it is. Yeah. So do you have any parting thoughts or final words to share with our listeners? Yeah, I, I do. I do. And it comes in two parts. First, to my colleagues in the safety profession. Psychosocial hazards are a thing. They are. And the effort 
and systems and activities and plans that you have in place to deal with other hazards, they will work. They will help you address psychosocial hazards. So lean in and use the skill that you already have in terms of identifying and mitigating hazards to address this one as well. To those who are not necessarily safety professionals or mental health people, or uh, your gut matters. How you feel matters. You matter. And you do have the opportunity to take charge of your own life, your own career, your own working circumstances. It will not be easy. It may take time, but it is worth it. I can tell you that uh, if you can get centered and focused on what brings you peace and joy and contentment and excitement and what's fun, if you can figure out what that is for yourself, because that might be different from the people around you. If you can figure that out for yourself and pursue that in every area of your life, including your work, work doesn't have to be dull and boring, and it certainly doesn't have to be abusive, but that's going to require you to know you, to know what works for you, and to be willing to sometimes find your tribe and find the place where Find that organization, that group that will value who you are and value what you bring to the table and value the contributions that you can make to the world. So to both those audiences, this is doable. We can do this. Let's, let's go out there and get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very sage advice. And I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's just, it's so easy for individuals to think everyone has the same mental state as themselves in that people perceive the world the same way, but this is certainly not the case, and it's an important lens to bring to your interactions. So that's what I take away from this conversation with a whole bunch of other stuff. So thank you again for being here. My pleasure. So to connect with Dr. Daniels and his work, check the links in the show notes, and then tune in next week for more expert advice to help you protect your business and people. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.